3: and I see the need for action. I see the need for a great reset.
0: We are 46 months into two weeks to flatten the curve. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Johnny Anderson alongside uh, the fan favorite. You know him, you love him. Somewhere between iconic and psychotic, Lord Marty Foster. Marty, how are you?
3: I'm I'm very well, actually. Uh, despite nearly dying from uh, peanut inhalation earlier, I'm not allergic. To, uh, allergic? I'm not allergic to peanuts. Don't want to hear it about the
0: Constantina wire again.
3: <laughs> I I just haven't. I was never taught as a child to eat them one at a time. And uh I was in mid-sentence, and I, I, I felt myself choke a bit. But no, I had a great day today. I did some work, got quite far with that. I've been welding. Yesterday, or the day before yesterday, I did the best weld I've ever done. I'm only just starting to learn how to weld now, um, because getting somebody else to do it is extremely expensive. And I had a go. I set this piece of metal up, welded the two pieces of metal together, then realized that I had made a mathematical error. So, my advice to everyone is always measure twice, cut once, or measure twice, weld once, because it then took me a day to grind off these or grind apart these two pieces of metal because I'd made such a good
0: job, but albeit in the wrong place.
3: So every day is a learning day.
0: So I, I'm getting there. I will say that uh, it's a MIG welder, yes, that you've got there. I will say that it is uh, one of the easier ways to start. Uh, arc welding is very difficult. Of course, that's going to be at a, at a higher temperature. And you've got TIG welding, which would be, you know, you're doing like argon and you're working like a foot pedal and everything. You got the tungsten rod and all that. Yeah, it's, it's really difficult. So you're starting on one of the easy... You're, that's where you start is is MIG welding. So
3: yeah, I mean... At school, I learned how to braze. So using an oxy blowtorch, getting the flame just right, uh, heating the workpiece, making sure it was clean, properly fluxed, and then you fed the big brass rod into that joint. And I could do that very, very well. And I made quite a long career out of avionics, and uh, you know other electronics and my soldering was second to none but you know electric welding uh tig or mig is is a different ball game and it's all down to preparation as well um if you fail to prepare prepare to fail and and so far i've done okay so we're, we're getting there that's enough about me. How about you?
0: Oh, I'm okay. Uh, it's one of those uh, one of those days where it's it's kind of a it's confusing day because this is January and it was about 15 degrees outside today, which is very odd. Uh, that's Celsius. Sorry for the Americans. Yeah, yeah. It was about 15 degrees outside today, and it was sunny. So I was in the light jacket and my sunglasses and I was I was confused. I could hear birds chirping and everything else. And I thought it's a little early for that.
3: Yeah, it's a bit sad because our Tuesday this week was very much the same. That's when I did that fantastic weld in the wrong place. But other things that were happening is I noticed there were butterflies had come out of their chrysalids. Uh, and were fluttering around. And of course, there's no flowers for the butterflies to feed on for the short time before they lay eggs and and off they go. But yeah, it was kind of like a very, uh, a false spring. So I know exactly what you mean. Very confusing.
0: Very confusing indeed. Uh, all right. Uh, where would you like to start today? Do you, do you want to talk about the farmers? Should we start with the farmers? We haven't really discussed the uh, the farmers. You got German farmers, Belgian farmers, Dutch farmers, Polish farmers have now joined in, and you've got Romanian farmers that are jumping in on this. And my question to you was in prep, where are the British farmers? I, I'm not saying get involved, obviously, because the, the whole EU Brexit thing. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is all of these agricultural restrictions is it's not just restricted to Europe you've got this going on in New Zealand you got this going on in Australia you got this going on in Canada you got this going on in the United States why are you guys being left alone for the time being i think I-
3: it's exactly that it is for the time being i think that our corrupt sociopaths currently sat in Westminster are intending to bring all these restrictions to british farmers but the very fact that we left the EU means that they're not happening uh, immediately. Whereas right the way across the rest of Europe, because these edicts come straight from Brussels and are disadvantaging European farmers enormously. Now, that looks somewhere,
0: is that somewhere in France? That's France. Yeah, that is, uh, where where is that? I'm not exactly sure where that is, but they're that's um that's manure. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. manure,
3: that yeah. silage and manure yeah. that they are yeah. spraying onto the gates. That's the government, some, building, yeah. Yeah. government building. Probably some some government building, Interior
0: ministry, yeah. Yeah. Thing is
3: British farmers are used to the protestations of French farmers because even when we were in the EU and trying to transport our produce across the channel If the French farmers got upset about it, they would quite often blockade the ports, seize British goods and set fire to them. That is something that they did. Uh, And so you won't really see a lot of support for French farmers amongst British farmers until such time as these restrictions start to be enforced here in the UK.
0: And this is all to do with what type of fertilizer you can use? Diesel agricultural. De- they want the, ag- in Germany. Yeah. They want to. They want to ban, uh, more or less. They want to cut the the subsidies for. They want to get rid of agricultural diesel. Well, why? That you know, climate that, that's change. The f- <laughs> but there's no there's no reason or explanation for it other than just climate change. It's probably because they need all that diesel to run the
3: generators to charge the EVs. So, you know, they they can't spare it for the farmers to have. They they need it for the city dwellers to to run their overly expensive, unreliable, quite dangerous electronic vehicles. I personally think that the British farmers will join in this protest, but they have not been cornered in the way that European farmers have already. So, when that, that those restrictions start to bite, that's when you'll see the British farmers start to
0: protest. I was actually wondering what it's going to take because I I see legislation from Westminster. It's going to be one of those where it's it's just going to be put in there, and it's it's going to be like a a one or two reading thing, and it's just going to be well, this is what we're going to have to do, and that's going to be it. it it's not going to be up for debate or anything, and it's just it's going to happen.
3: Well. When I sat down to have dinner this evening and was watching the early evening news, it was on our TV. So uh, there was an ad break and the what's on now and what's on next bar on the TV said that there was a party political broadcast. And I thought, oh, I'll I'll listen to that. But unfortunately uh, I missed it. That means we've got an election coming up everywhere People are going to be voting soon. And if our current set of liars, thieves, cheats, philanderers and psychopaths don't get ousted, then I think you're probably right that these these bills will go through on with lightning speed. Yeah. But yeah. That's an awful lot of tractors.
0: That's Berlin. Um, that's that's the. Um, I know exactly that, where that is. That's that's one of the. That's main going up to the brandon Yeah, right up to going the Brandon
3: Gate. Okay, yeah,
0: yeah. I've actually stood in both places. So, and that's that is that's making that view right there from that drone is making it look like it's a short distance. That is not a short distance. No, I'm guessing
3: that's two or three kilometers completely jammed. Just about, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. With, and that goes that goes on and, and around. vehicles. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The other thing though
3: is, and this is something my grandparents used to say, you never see a poor farmer. You you know, you never see a farmer on a bicycle. They've always got the latest four by four, you know, a decent car or or the the nicest tractor. Do you know Lamborghini started off making tractors?
0: Yes, yes, they actually did, and they still make them. Yeah, yeah. Jeremy Clarkson bought one. Of course he did. He had to, didn't he?
3: But, uh, you know, most farmers can make a decent living, and they could make a better one uh, if they're not being paid to not grow things, because that was basically what the EU subsidies did. They paid British farmers not to grow so that they could falsely inflate prices on the continent. And it annoys the hell out of me because I've said all along, you've heard me say it many times, there's only one real job, and that's farmer. yeah? Everything yes. else uh-huh. is by the by. You know, you don't necessarily need it, but you do need your food production and your food producers. Otherwise, all those others of us in these highly unnecessary modes of employment wouldn't get to eat. So... We need to look after our farmers and we need to look after our agriculture. We need to stop um, letting corrupt governments damage our farming. I can't say any more than that, really. I, I think it's it's obvious. I really am being Captain Obvious here. We, we can't allow it to happen. So come those uh, voting days or months in the U.S., <laughs>
0: That's what it is isn't it yeah
3: we we need to make our voices heard and i don't know how anyone's going to do that properly unless they've got a good independent non-party affiliated candidate to vote for
0: didn't you say that you got into it with uh, a former guest of ours on uh, social media earlier about that would you like to would you like to weigh in on that because it um, sounds like nothing but party politics to me and it's I, i'm thinking to myself and i'm gonna have to call him uh, and see if he wants to come back on at some point but i yeah to, I, to be I, fair I think past all that stuff
3: well it's it's the way people blame in in the uk it's Tories this, oh, they've done that, they're useless. And it's tarring everybody with the same brush. People who vote uh, for centre-right policies, they've been let down too. So they see themselves as Conservatives or Tories, but the people that we've currently got representing us in, in Parliament bear no resemblance to that at all. They, they are a, a new breed of, of globalist and th- this particular discussion was about the way in which during the 90s the tories were in power and hospital waiting lists nhs waiting lists got bigger and longer and more more tedious and then under labor in the 2000s it dropped right off and and waiting lists came down but since the the current Tory reign the current conservative party being in power those waiting lists have gone higher and higher and higher but don't blame Tories be specific blame the politicians that have underfunded wasted money and are actively seeking the destruction of the national health service just in the same way as they are about to if they're not already destroying agriculture so yeah we we are we really are uh in an undeclared war with our own politicians. So don't all I'm saying is don't tar us all with the same brush. Just because my politics might be center right it doesn't mean that I approve of this government in any way shape or form
0: is it really our politicians that we need to be concerned about or is it the people that fund those politicians and well, among which you're yeah, going to you're yeah. going to hear what I got coming up or okay shall, shall I wait or do you have do you have more to say you no know,
3: i was i was just going to say you got to start somewhere so start oh, yeah, with it's true yeah you know if you if you've got a um a thorn stuck in your in in your flesh the first thing that you normally see is, you know, a pussy spot on the surface, which I think describes most of our politicians. So you give that a good squeeze, but then you might have to dig down a bit deeper to get the thorn out. So start with what you can see.
0: Well, what I can see here is... uh... A very interesting specimen uh, named Alex, Alexander Soros. This is the son of uh, the, I, I don't know if you want to call him famous, George Soros, the man who broke the Bank of England. I don't have words for what I'm about to hear and what you're all about to hear this is quite painful, I have to say. But before I play this, Marty, you did say that last week, I don't know if it was in prep. I can't remember if it was even off recording. You know how all these things run together. You said that these people that are these type, not him specifically, but these people that are these type, there's something that is psychologically wrong with them. And and they just, they don't behave like normal or what you, would, what you and I would consider to be a normal person.
3: Yeah, it, it might be a bit unfair. And I'm trying to be even handed to say there's something wrong with them, because as far as they're concerned, the way they think is ideal for what life has put in front of them. But what they don't do is think the way anybody who's had to get up early, go to bed late, work eight to 12 hours a day, even longer in some cases, just to get enough money to put food on the table for their families. They have no clue about that. This is the disconnection that we're talking about. People like Rishi Sunak here in the UK, for instance, our prime minister, he's the richest man in Westminster. He is ridiculously wealthy, and he has not the first idea about what real life is. So how he can effectively... Um, make any policies or govern fairly, I don't know. In the case of Alexander Soros, of course, he will have no concept of what it's like to be a working class person.
0: No, he will not. And I have a funny feeling that after you hear what this young individual has to say, I'm betting that hes if he's not already been pulled off of the stage, then he's going to be grabbed with the hook. And they're going to sit him down and they're going to coach
2: him on how he speaks. Listen to this. Um, but um, you know, I um, I don't think that that's the I don't think that that's the fundamental I don't think technology is the fundamental issue uh, in, in democracy. Democracy is messy. I mean, you know, democracy is about contestation of ideas. It's about uh, plurality. Um, it's about people having different truths. Actually, now mm. um, <laughs> fundamentally, uh, how society lives together um, civically um, in those. In those contestations, um, is you know is obviously uh, is obviously um, you know quite uh, quite uh, you know quite tricky. But I think that if we play too much on this disinformation card, we're taking the responsibility away from ourselves to actually create a narrative that inspires people to vote and to believe uh, you know in um, uh, in uh, in democracy and democratic um, institutions. And on the institutional part, I think that we can talk about. Uh, institutions as these abstract things but institutions are also about people mm-hmm. and um, you know um, you know we just heard this, this this point about untrustworthy people and we talked about things in the United States like you know like um, checks and balances which aren't written anywhere but are customs and one man <laughs> Donald Trump literally came in and just took that, you know, took that, took that all away. Um, You know, so, um, you know, so, um, you know, but when I see this, you know, when I look at this, um, you know, um, you know, uh, more globally regarding, regarding, you know, regarding democracy, I also say to myself, when was this great time that everybody got along so well and, you know, Things were going so, so great. I mean, I think, you know, um, um, you know, the, um, you know, I think that we really have to be careful here in, you know, in this nostalgia uh, for a time, uh, you know, for a time past because a lot of the reactions we're seeing in society are actually reactions to positive, uh, to positive things like, you know, like equality uh, for women, um, you know. Uh, and. uh, You know, and greater diversity, uh, which come with backlash. I
0: I think I completely lost the point of what he was trying to say because I just couldn't follow any of it with the ums and you knows and ums. And yeah.
3: Well, having lived and worked in the UAE and Saudi, Arabs have this phrase, Yanni, and you'll hear it all the time. They'll be talking to you, going, Yanni, Yanni. And it's like, You know what I mean? You know what I mean? It's kind of, I've just made a point. Did you get that point? I've just made a point. Did you get that point? And what we have there with that um, young man is Greta Thunberg in a cheap suit with horrible glasses, without the voice coach and a proper script. What they did with him was they wound him up, pushed him out on stage, and just before they, you know, he He was pushed on stage. Someone said, tell him that democracy doesn't really work. And that's that's the only thing that he was given. And that's what he was trying to express. He was trying to say that there's always a contest within any democracy. Someone always loses out. But the good thing about a real democracy is somebody, the majority, most people, um, even if that majority is only a one percent difference, get to make the decision. So no, he he he's another offering. He he is basically a sacrifice to globalists, you know, or rather to to the on the altar of globalism. That's the message he's trying to get across. Let there be a one world government that that is going to care for you all equally. Uh, it's cultural Marxism coming from someone who has been brought up in the most unmarxist way. Uh he he's you know he's obviously because of who his father is has grown up never having to want for anything. But what he does want is someone to give him some dress sense and someone to uh teach him how to speak without all those ums are uh, do you know what I mean?s
0: Yeah, they'll and, they'll get him. They'll get him coached, and he'll be down with the the regular cadence that everybody else speaks with here. Before long, I think I'm, the next I'm time not, we see him, he'll be. I'm not improved.
3: sure. I'm not at all sure that we will ever see that man standing upright, confident, speaking clearly, because he is a nats knob away from a nervous breakdown. He's messed up.
0: Yeah. And quite frankly, I'm I'm not going to say anything, but um, he's younger than I am. And you could see he looks about 10, 15 years older than I do.
3: Yeah. He's deliberately dressing down. He doesn't want to uh, come onto that stage to persuade people to ignore their own democracies and move towards a global government looking opulent and rich and well-dressed. It's like, oh, uh, what's he called? the french prime minister the prime uh, the president the president or prime minister the president the president macron, macron with his 40,000 euro watch 90 um 90,000 was it 90,000 euros yeah well i can get them cheaper but um okay fair enough but um you no, know he ran it, for a watch i and he, and that's why he had to take it off because he realized he'd screwed up you know he's got his perfectly tailored suits so you'll never get that out of a Frenchman. Most Frenchmen are gonna to want to look as, as formidable as they can. But the the and again, I don't think Alex is a half-wit. I think he's probably quite intelligent. Yeah. But he is shy. He knew that the message that he was trying to deliver wouldn't be a popular one with most people. And I think there's kind of an inbuilt thing where if you know you've got some bad news to deliver or an unpopular opinion, you make yourself feel vulnerable and look vulnerable, and therefore you hope that whoever you're delivering this opinion or message to won't go too hard on you once you stop speaking.
0: Well, let's hear from uh, dear old dad now, shall we? This is George. Uh, You haven't heard this yet. I've I've been repressing this one just for this occasion. This is George talking about... Something about climate change and, and global warming, I can't quite make it out. See if you can.
3: The melting of the in Greenland ice sheet affects acid uh, 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 um, um, uh, would increase
0: the level of the oceans by seven meters that is not doctored in any way shape or form
3: yeah but that that's someone who should have uh removed themselves from the world of other people quite some time ago i'm not saying he should uh top himself i'm saying he should just fuck off. Just stop interfering with the rest of us, you dirty, old. He's a traitor to his own people, and he is a despicable sociopath. I've heard him talk, when he could still talk, uh, about how he has no qualms about people losing their jobs when he asset strips a company that he's purchased because his only purpose in life is to create revenue. And then he's put together the, what's it called, his society? His, um Open Society. The Open Society, yeah. He's put that together uh, as a basically a way of washing his dirty money and not paying any tax on it because it's got charitable status. So, no, I'm sorry, anything George Soros has ever had to say, even when he could string a sentence together, rather than sound like somebody on the toilet, Cause that's what it sounded like. It sounded like he had too much fruitcake, and he he had a bit of a blockage there. But he's always been full of shit. So I don't know. You're laughing your head off there. I I don't I, know what don't you expect me that. to say. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. All
0: right, all right. Um, <laughs> let's uh, let's go over to um, let's go over to the Middle East. The Saudis are going to allow liquor to be sold in Saudi Arabia. Uh, now, you mentioned a little bit of this in prep. That's a big deal, but here it comes with a catch. They're only going to allow it to be sold to people with diplomatic recognition. So people that are in there like uh, UN delegates, delegates from another country, people that are in there to broker business deals because uh, if you recall we played a clip it's it's him speaking in arabic but it was mohammed bin salman talking about how in his words it's his war to build the future of saudi we we've seen some of these uh, these projects that they've got going on um uh, what's it called uh, neom the uh, the line you know some line, of yeah, yeah. some of these other things and these are projects that they really want to try and get off the ground the octagon was another one uh, a project a port project that they have you're going to have to do something like this. And you've spent some time over there. And you say that this is a thing where that where they'll allow it in certain places, like hotels and things like that, because that's, well, how did you put it? Booze and booze and birds is, is what basically, brings the- it. Basically, basically, Sheikh Zayed uh,
3: in the UAE knew that if you wanted Western consultants and good engineers, then they had to have somewhere to relax. So the bars uh, and in the hotels with their live music and free-flowing booze in the UAE, in Abu Dhabi, in Dubai, yeah, it, it made the place, you know, a reasonable place to live. There was something for everybody. But in Saudi, they currently have lots of compounds. So engineers and instructors from uh, all kinds of companies that Saudi wants, their technology, their know-how, their skills, those compounds have their own breweries inside them. The beer is not so bad. The distilled spirits are bloody awful. When I was working in Saudi didn't touch the I, I had a couple of pints of beer, but i I would definitely stay clear of the spirits. So, as soon as you get the chance, what you do is you jump in a cab and you drive across the causeway into Bahrain, where Allah can't see across the water, apparently. apparently so, no. So, all of the Saudis dare across that causeway at weekends as well. I mean, for the benefit of the listener in the background, Johnny's showing scenes from some is this this, this must is be a it. new
0: one in Dubai, isn't it? This is in Dubai, yes. Yeah. This is a club called Illuminati that opened in Dubai, yes. Yeah.
3: Lots of scantily clad girls, dancers, singers, cocktail waiters, tossing the mixing bottles up in the air and catching. Yeah. To my mind, that kind of bar you can keep. I would not be seen dead in that kind of bar you know
0: those you know those are russian women in there that (laughs) of course they are
3: Uh, this is this is something that um they think that's how we want it but in actual truth that's how they want it they want this vision from american movies from you know all the las vegas hotels those kind of things that's what they want to go to most people prefer the the down and dirty rough. Not violent rough, but not all posh and plush like like those ones that you showed in the clip there. They just wanted somewhere where they could get a drink, listen to the music, and, and have a good time. So, yeah, Saudi already has booze, but most of it is made in the compounds. And when you say diplomatic recognition, I dare say anyone who's there, a work visa... Is likely to be able to get a hold of that booze because that's exactly the same way that they did in, in the UAE. In fact, you could have, if you were if you were a resident, you had to get what's called a booze license, an alcohol license. And you need you were supposed to have to show it in the um in the off license um liquor stores to buy any booze to take to your home but in actual fact no one ever checked so it, yeah it was a, a a bit of a bit of a joke really but what they did do was when you actually applied for your booze license they would put a limit on how much you were allowed to spend on alcohol per month so myself for instance i was allowed to spend 1800 dirhams which at 4 dirhams to the pound is how much Come on, you do the maths. Uh,
0: you're, what, are you, what are you asking me? Sorry, I was. I'm <laughs> sorry. sorry. I'm, there's a, there's a reason I'm I'm kind of like spaced out here because I know we're talking about booze and we're talking about uh, breweries and you couldn't make this up. This is literally just happening now. Biden is speaking in a brewery in Michigan. All right. Okay. So I, I have to play the clip uh, with your permission. Yeah. You yeah. Want.
3: Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, I could spend four hundred and fifty pounds a month on booze if
0: i want to i've never done that in my entire life that's a lot of money on booze i'm just gonna throw that out there but anyway yeah. this this man right here is going to tell you about booze the beer brewed here
3: it is used to make the brew beer in this the final. oh earth
2: rider thanks for the great lakes i wonder why. he's
0: did you catch that I thought he said arthritis, thanks for the Great Lakes. Uh, something like that. I I don't know. I, I couldn't really make it out. But that, he's speaking at a brewery. So, I, you know, we we're talking about booze. So
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, well, he's barely speaking at a brewery. One of the things we used to do in the Navy when we went to a foreign city is quite often get invited to their local brewery for a trip around the brewery and to get a couple of free beers. I have only ever done this once, and it was in the beautiful city of Cardiff at Brains Brewery, and the guy said, uh, all right, then, um, no, this is the bar area. As you can see, it's lovely. It was all beautiful stained oak, big roaring fire, brass taps, big barrels of beer. And he says, uh, you can stay here, or we can have a trip around the brewery. And we all said, we'll stay here, please, Taff. And we did. And 17 pints later, I had to be poured back onto the ship. It was quite a good experience, but I've only done it once, and I'll probably never
0: do it again. Was that a night in the the brig, or no?
3: No, no. I was fortunate that um, the actual full-on drunkenness had not happened at that point. But I was was definitely a little bit tipsy, and I felt like I had to tilt my head back to keep all of the beer in. Um, so as I could walk across the gangway,
1: full,
3: huh? <laughs> I was that full. As I could walk under my own power across the gangway, I, I was allowed to go to bed. And yeah, at Brains Bre- Brewery, I can't speak properly. Brains Brewery in Cardiff is now a big block of very posh flats in the old building. It's quite sad, really, but they still sell Brains Bitter uh, and there's a particular one called skull attack and it is is just about the best bitter i've ever had so well done the welsh that's all i can say
0: on over to uh yemen you know we've had a fresh round of uh of strikes in yemen i know i played some b-roll footage there in prep of uh some uh carrier takeoffs and uh hitting targets in the middle of the night uh, in yemen here's a question right so We know that Yemen and the Houthis are a proxy group from Hezbollah and Iran, and we know that Iran is a client state of Russia. Well, today you have the Iranian president, whatever. I, I don't know what the you know what that even represents, uh, other than just a diplomatic front, going to Turkey to speak with Erdogan about the annihilation of Israel or something. Now you have talk, and I don't know if you caught this. I've got a clip here from Sky News. You've got talk of the Europeans are are looking to start preparing. I, I think it's, it's long overdue, to be fair. You've got the Germans that are saying that they're now going to start tooling up. You've got the French that are saying, that they're going to start moving on things. The French still need three years at least. The Germans probably longer than that. But you guys, you guys are talking about conscription. This is the first time I've heard this talked about in the UK, conscription. Listen to the people that, are, that they're talking about conscripting, right? This is General Sir Patrick Sanders, okay, talking about a possible conflict with Russia.
1: Very serendipitous because um, somebody who you'll know well, General Sir Patrick Sanders, the um, I'm not sure if you served with him, but certainly you have served. You did. So um, he's suggesting, reading between the lines in the Telegraph today, that if we go to war with Russia, uh, we could find that our youth uh, may have to be conscripted. That's a bit alarming. yes head of the British Army, one of the most cerebral thinkers that we've got, a strategist, we need to listen and listen carefully. We've been too complacent. I think I've said this many times with you. What's coming over the horizon should shock us. It should worry us. And we are not prepared. We've had a couple of decades, three decades or so since the Cold War. Life has gone well. It's now going to get more difficult as authoritarian states exploit our timidity, our perhaps reluctance to really put fires out. And the best example of that is uh, a democracy on the on the uh, corner of eastern europe that in its third year is now uh, in conflict and we've not resolve that. So, Patrick Saunders is saying, prepare for what's coming over the horizon. There is a 1939 feel to the world right now. These authoritarian states are rearming. Uh, there's a risk-averseness about uh, the West in wanting to deal with that, and uh, institutions, global institutions such as the United Nations um, aren't able to uh, hold these errant nations to account. In fact, the UN, I would go further, is reaching its League of Nations moment unless it's reformed. So, that's where the World is heading. We need to wake up to that. There's a mindset now of this era of insecurity uh, that uh, we're heading towards, and, but we're still on a peacetime defence budget of just two percent. That does need to change. And the Red Sea is a great example that if you don't step forward, if you don't, uh, if you're not robust in dealing with those that are testing the the, the, uh, the envelope, um, it will be our uh, weakness will be exploited,
3: and it will affect our economy. Conscripts, conscript armies are only good for one thing, and that's providing the dead. When you put untrained or undertrained people in harm's way, you you waste them, basically. But I'm afraid General Saunders, as is his name, because Saunders, well, I suppose when he was a colonel uh, with the whole KFC thing, but no, his, his name's General Saunders... Um, no, that's, that's quite all right. She said it wrong to to a certain extent. But then what can you expect from Kate Burley? Also, what can you expect from Sky News? We know it's a propaganda machine. That piece, the general may well have said it, but I don't think he's actually thought it through. I think he's more along the lines of, we have not got enough people in our standing armed forces Uh, given the level of threat that we have from our enemies. And they've been our enemies for a very long time, but we fell into that trap, didn't we? You've researched it quite heavily, where we felt comfortable. We sort of um, rolled over and gave away technology, trade, linked our economies to a certain extent. And and yet our enemies are still there and they are still plotting against us. So to some extent, I think that piece was all about getting people on the Ukrainian side of the war so that they are more accepting of the billions of dollars, billions of pounds, billions of euros of military aid our countries are giving to Zelensky's rather corrupt money laundering government that's not to say Putin's the good guy as we have said all along there is no good guy in this war only victims and the very idea of sending conscripts to fight in that war would terrifies me really the last time we sent conscripts I think was Aden you know which is now Yemen yeah we we had we're there, we had cons- we're already there yeah, we had conscripts fighting there, and I'm pretty sure conscripts were also uh, involved in Suez, which was '57,
0: something like that. Yeah, it was yeah. mid '50s, mid late '50s. Yeah.
3: So we still had national service, and I can't remember exactly when national service ended. I should. That's I should. A, know, that's but actually don't. A,
0: that's that's an interesting point because a lot of European countries around the same time, I believe, ended that. Do you think that was a mistake to end the? I I, I understand that that you can't force somebody to go. But I think, like, the Swiss still do this. Uh, and I'm using them as a as kind of like a, a benchmark, if you will. I actually agree with their system, where you have to go and you have... I, I believe you do five years. I think it's five years, but it's it's like uh, an auxiliary thing. Yeah, But, but, but everybody's trained in Swiss, civil defense, is my point. Yeah,
3: the thing about the Swiss system is it is purely defensive. They do not have a standing army as such. All of their um, armed forces are reservists and they remain reservists until such time as they are too old to fight. So even if they've done their X amount of months of training, uh, X number of years of of reservist service, they still keep their webbing and their harness and their, their, their combat clothing and their weapon at home. It's, it's funny, a lot of people link the fact that there's an assault rifle and a sidearm in every Swiss home to the high rate of suicide among Swiss men because they have the opportunity there. Some people make that link. But look, there was a report on the news tonight. Israel, the IDF, is also a conscript service. So many people, because they, they want the right to dual citizenship of Israel, from all over the world, send their young people to serve
0: in the IDF. It's, it's kind of. I met a guy. I, I met a, just on that point. I met a guy once who was a dual national. I met him on an airplane actually on the way back over here. He would not go back to Israel because he did not want to get involved in that. He said, Look, you know, I'm happy to, to keep my dual citizenship. He says, But that's not my fight.
3: Yeah, but if if he wouldn't have got that dual citizenship without having spent some time in the IDF he's probably been there done his training By spent his a birth. couple of years no it, he was it was born, it, he was it born was,
0: there was he it was yeah it was birth he was a uh, he was an Israeli uh, American dual national and his his father was Israeli and his mother was American so right
3: okay but anyway this this piece on the news tonight a Palestinian guy standing with several others who were going to try and rescue friends and family further into Gaza where where it was going down. He got shot in the street while stood with his hands in the air and one of their, their group was uh, was holding a white flag aloft as, as they walked forward. He was shot by IDF troops and IDF troops are conscripts. They serve a period of national service. They are not full-time regular troops. And as good as they may be, um, those kind of untrained people do make those kind of mistakes. And when you you look at the whole situation, I'm pretty sure that a lot of the aggression towards Israel is a direct result of bad drills and indiscipline amongst those National Service IDF members. It's, it's, you know, it's, that's going to be a contentious thing to say, but conscripts are not the same as a fully trained, fully committed career soldier, sailor,
0: or air person. Should we bring back the, uh, the conscription as in like, just to, you know, for, for, for defensive purpose? that was my original point for purposes of, of national defense, defense. No, no,
3: no, absolutely not. That's, absolutely not. What they should do is open up the recruitment and make that process faster, more efficient, and make the rewards, you know, the remuneration for being a full-time service man or woman better, certainly here in the UK. And if we are going to conscript, we've got 750,000 illegal immigrants that want British citizenship. Bung them all in some you know, 1970s kit, and send them off to uh, the front line in Ukraine. And so if the they Germans come back, if they come back, then then they get citizenship. That would be my my only way that conscription should should be working. When it comes to national service, I think there should be a form of it. For people who have got nothing else going for them in their lives... If nothing else, it will give them some discipline and not military. Don't do it in a military fashion. Do it in a construction fashion, a farming fashion. Make them go to places like the Peace Corps, for instance, but on a much larger scale uh, and and go and complete a job. It will give young people who've got no direction some discipline and it will give those that do have direction because you can't just make it um, – Only the no-hopers go. Everyone would have to go. So the ones that have got something about them and 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 a career path ahead of them, it will give them an experience that they can build on when they go into um, into the world of work afterwards. So yeah, it's it has crossed my mind that national service, but of the kind that I just described, not of military national service. The the armed yeah. I know, I know, I know what you. I, I don't know what you're about to say, but no, I can don't. just tell from your face. Go on, go for it. The Peace Corps,
0: well, or uh, to join possibly a, a movement to, um, to uh, aid in, in climate change or, or something of that nature. Um, and here to tell us about that is someone you mentioned earlier. I, I could not end tonight without playing this for you. We have Greta Thunberg speaking in Germany at a rally.
2: We cannot remain silent. No one can remain silent when there's an ongoing genocide and when people are denied the most basic human needs. We must always stand up and speak up against oppression, against imperialism, against war, and against discrimination and racism in all forms. stand with palestine is to be human we we cannot allow ourselves to be silenced so thank you for being here and thank you for continuing to protest speaking up boycotting and do everything that you can to raise your voice for palestine
0: Well, a um, few marxist uh, slogans in there uh, imperialism basic yeah. human needs yeah. Uh, yeah that kind of stuff
3: greta i hope you're listening and you have my full permission to be silent okay you you don't have to ask you can just be silent now in that speech she just gave it was shorter than alex soros gave But there wasn't a single, um, ah, you know what I mean? It was the script and she learned that script. The other thing to consider is that she is not speaking in her native tongue. So if she was speaking in her native tongue, she'd be searching for the exact word or the right word or a, a word that would suffice. So there might be a bit more hesitation, a bit more natural flow to what she was saying. But, no, she's speaking in English, which is not her first language, and she has just learned a script. She's just moved from climate to Palestine, and it's what they do. It's what they do with a famous face. Once you've become famous for one thing, you can use that fame to promote something else. It works in most cases apart from
0: Bud Light. Yes, you can't do that with uh with Anheuser Busch products anymore. By the way, did you see who bought a hundred million dollars worth of uh Anheuser Busch shares? I don't know. I would, normally uh I would have come back with something like Oliver
3: Reed or George Best being, you know, a, a well known alcoholic, but just about all the well known alcoholics are dead now. So you tell me who has bought a hundred million dollars in shares of of Bush? Bill Gates. Has he?
0: He has. Does that mean? I mean, is that because he wants to get hold of the real estate? I don't know if he wants the the real estate. You know, like the hops thing. I don't know if that because I, I know that a lot of the hops are are come are, they come from uh, from Bavaria here, but I don't know if it's that or if it is because the stock has plunged and there's now talk of the original Bush family buying it back from AG Inbev in the Netherlands and or a a. Uh, AB Bev, sorry, excuse me, that's the parent company, buying it back at, at the lower stock price now. And then he's been making public statements saying that, you know, they've lost touch with the consumer base and you've got to reestablish this. And if he can go in and rebuild the brand as the family did, then maybe he's looking to cash in just on the, you know, to get the, um, the quick overnight repayment out of it. Well,
3: that's exactly the same model. Although this is with a beer uh, that Soros employed, With currency, you ensure that the currency starts to plummet. You buy it, but knowing full well that the pound will always rally because of the strength of the United Kingdom, as was. I wouldn't say that we could rally again, but something like Budweiser, which people are going to want to buy again at some point when they've forgotten about the, the trans unicorn that was advertising it. You know, it it will rally. Those stocks will go back up. So what is to say that the really good idea of putting an extremely irritating, almost human being as their brand ambassador, it destroyed their stock and made it absolutely prime for someone to buy it. So what's to say that wasn't the intention
0: all along? Could have been. Could very well have been. Don't know. It's just one of those things. You have any final thoughts that you would like to impart to the listener before you get away for the week? Well, I just want to reiterate: measure twice, cut once. That is good advice. Uh, any welding advice you'd like to give to the uh, to the listener? Since you're new to welding now,
3: it's all wear about hood. wear a hood. Well, that's
0: the first. That's the first
3: thing. I yeah, because you don't want to smell burning hair. Because I thought I did earlier on. My mask is absolutely outstanding. Well, no, when I say frozen. a hood, we
0: call it a we call it. When Let I say me it. just. Just one second. Yeah, yeah.
3: Did you see that?
0: Yes. When, when I say a hood, we call it a welding hood. So that's... Oh, well, you
3: know. Yeah, we, we call it a mask. But yeah, yeah I, I, I suppose hood, mask, all the same to me, really. But this thing's amazing because uh, the one that came with the kit was just solid, darkened glass. Yeah. And it's one that you just lifted up to your face. Whereas this one, which did cost me 42 pounds, which I think was quite reasonable,
0: Yes. Um, they used to be, I know what that is. It used to be around a hundred pounds for one of those. And that is the auto dimming solar powered. And it actually gets the solar power on the panel in the front of it to charge the battery that's in it from the welding that you're actually, the arc that you're making from the weld.
3: You got it. It's absolutely brilliant. And uh, it's one of the best purchases that I've made. It wasn't from the middle at Lidl, but I, I'm very happy with it. Yeah. Get yourself a good welding mask, a stroke hood, make sure you've got the right gauntlets which I have over there. I bought two pairs because I bought them from a trade center and they were very cheap. But yeah, it's all about steady hand and making sure the feed is at the right speed. So, and and clean clean your work surface. Make sure it's clean before you start. Like I said earlier, if you fail to prepare, prepare to fail. All
0: right, my friend, we will see you next week. For those of you who'd like to support us, we would greatly appreciate that. The link will be in the program description down below. You can click that and it will take you over to our subscription page where you can subscribe and or donate to us with a small donation. Thank you very much, my friend. It has been an absolute pleasure. I will see you next week. Thank you for being here today. Thank you to all of the listeners. God bless everyone and have a great weekend.